for your warm welcome this morning. Um, our Bible reading this morning comes from uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 5. And we will read through verses 1 to 20 together. <coughs> what are most, most folks reading from NIV? I'm reading from ESV, so it's going to be a wee... Is there, a, is there an NIV line anywhere so that it's the same? Excellent. I'll take that one because it's bigger. My eyes are bad. I'm at a certain age where I need bigger words. Okay. So Mark 5, uh, verses 1 to 20. Let us hear then the word of God. They, that is Jesus and the disciples... They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus had got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran in and fell on his knees in front of Jesus. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. Jesus gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. And the herd of pigs, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank, into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him, but said to him, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you. So the man went away, and he began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Amen. May God add his blessing to this, the reading of his word. Well, just a brief prayer. Make the book live to us, O Lord. Show us thyself with, within thy word. Show us ourselves, and show us our saviour. And make the book live to us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, this passage contains my most favourite story in the entire Bible of how Jesus transformed someone's life. 
The passage focuses on this man called Legion. And as chapter 5 opens, we see that he is a man who is demented. He is demented due to the demons who have entered his life and are now destroying him. But secondly, we see that he meets Jesus and he is wonderfully delivered. Delivered and set in his right mind. Demented, delivered. And by the end of the passage in verse 20, he becomes a disciple as he is sent out by the Lord Jesus to preach to his family and his friends how much the Lord Jesus has done for him. Demented, delivered, and now a disciple. It's a wonderful story. A wonderful story of the transforming power of the Lord Jesus. And I know that there are many here this morning who can personally identify with with the plight of this man. You yourself having once been demented, demented by the weight of your sins and the life that you were living. Then being delivered as you were introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ and his saving work for you on the cross. And from that day until this day, living as a disciple, and telling people every opportunity that you get, all that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, we can't but help be drawn to the transforming power of Jesus and the transformation that was brought about in this man's life. But I don't believe that this is Mark's main message in this passage, or indeed this chapter. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus teaches four parables. Four parables that are immediately followed by four miracles. And the four miracles start in chapter 4, verse 35, right to the end of chapter 5. And these four miracles have a lot in common. In fact, the teaching point, the big idea, is the same in these four stories, in these four miracles. And that teaching point, that big idea is this. Jesus is the sovereign God of heaven and earth. He has come to deliver his people from darkness, desperation, and even death itself. Even in the most desperate of situations, just as we sang earlier, Jesus is mighty to save. And as well as teaching this truth about the Lord Jesus, Mark also throughout this chapter is making us, the reader, face up to the fact that in light of this truth about the Lord Jesus, there can only be two responses— to the Lord Jesus. And these are the responses that we see all throughout chapter 4 and 5. The response of fear and faith. So I would like to take the passage under two headings. Firstly, in verses 1 to 13, Legion meets Jesus. Legion meets Jesus. And then secondly, verses 14 to 20, the locals meet Jesus. The locals meet Jesus. Well, firstly then, verses 1 to 13, Legion meets Jesus. At the end of chapter 4, Jesus has just calmed the storm. And he, along with the disciples, arrive on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, verse 1, to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, to the country of the the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes, depending on which translation you read, which we can see from verse 20 is in the area of the Decapolis. And the Decapolis just simply means ten cities. And this is a Gentile area, which means it's not a Jewish area. It's Gentile, non-Jewish. And after just surviving the storm, maybe the disciples had hoped 
that they would now get a few quiet hours off, maybe just to digest and get their heads around what has just happened. But being with Jesus, things are never quiet for long. And their feet have barely touched the ground, verse 2. When this man who was demon-possessed on a massive scale come running towards them. At the end of chapter 4, Mark presents men inside a storm. But here at the beginning of chapter 5, he presents a storm inside of a man. A storm inside of a man. This man is totally demented due to the evil powers that have invaded his life. And Mark tells us that he comes running to Jesus. Can you imagine how he looked? Well, he was naked. And Luke's account of this story, Luke tells us that this man hadn't worn clothes for a very long time. Verse 15 tells us that when he has been delivered by Jesus, he is sitting, dressed, and in his right mind. So this man had been running about naked. His hair was probably all dirty and, and matted and, and stuck together. You know, like one of those characters that hangs about the, the peace camp at Fastlane, you know, with the dreadlocks and, and bogging hair. And his body, dirty and full of marks and wounds. Marks from all the times the, the people had tried to subdue him with shackles and chains. And wounds from all the times he cut himself with stones. As he just couldn't bear the agony and torture of being possessed. He probably looked more like an animal than he did a man. Probably a wee bit like, like, like Gollum out of Lord of the Rings. And I wonder how the disciples reacted. You can just picture the scene, can't you? There's Peter, big bull Peter, right up there at the front, rolling up his sleeves, getting ready to fight, getting ready to, getting ready to go ahead, as we say in Glasgow. Maybe still some others were, were picking up rocks and stones and, and getting ready to throw them at this, this thing that was coming running towards them. Or maybe still some others, they're starting to run back to the boat. Because after the storm, they've had quite enough excitement for one day. Now the story could go straight to verse 6. But Mark unusually takes time to slow down. Now I say unusually because one of Mark's favorite words in his gospel is the word immediately. Or the phrase at once. And I think that phrase or that word is used well over 40 times in Mark's gospel. But here he takes some time to slow down. And to explain the background of this man. Mark tells us where he is. He is among the tombs. Three times Mark tells us about the tombs. He comes out of the tombs, verse 2. He lives among the tombs, verse 3. This man has no escape from the tombs. An outcast living among the tombs with the dead. For he was as good as dead himself. And friends, this is more than a living death. It is a living hell. You know how sometimes when we've experienced something wonderful or beautiful, we are tempted to say, you know, it was like a wee, a wee bit of heaven and earth. Well, this is definitely not a wee bit of heaven and earth, but quite categorically, a wee bit of hell on earth. And in this story, we are going to see that this darkness of hell on earth can only be confronted by the glory of heaven on earth. Verse 3 and 4, he was completely alone. He was a social outcast, and he had obviously terrorized the neighborhood for them to bound him with shackles and chains. 
In fact, in Matthew's account of this story, Matthew says he was so fierce that no one could pass that way. But all their attempts to control and restrain this man were utterly hopeless. For no one could bind him anymore. No one had the strength to subdue him. Being possessed had given him extraordinary strength. And all the antisocial behavior orders of chains and shackles were utterly hopeless against him. Outsiders can't control him. He has no control over himself. Screaming, crying, self-harming, destroyed in every way as a human being. And verse 5 gives us the picture of how totally demented he was, always crying out day and night and cutting himself with stones. And I suppose you can imagine how this affected the local area. I suppose doing wonders for house prices. You can just picture the scene. There's the, the for sale sign up there in the front garden. The prospective buyer, well, he's been shown around the house and boy, does he like what he sees. Five spacious bedrooms, a lovely big lounge, great big kitchen and dining area and a massive garden for the children to play in. It's ideal, exactly what I've been looking for. And I can't even believe the price. It's so cheap. Then one of Legion's blood-chilling screams is heard coming from the tombs. What's that? Says the prospective buyer. Oh, it's a wild dog, says the seller. But there's a wee boy standing close by. He says, that's no a wild dog, mister. That's Legion, the demon-possessed man that stays in the tombs. Well, not exactly the kind of neighborhood for bringing up your children, is it? All deals are off, regardless of how cheap the house is. And the buyer walks away. And I'm sure that Legion would have had an effect on people trying to get asleep for work in the morning. Bad enough being kept awake all night by a newborn. But Legion's neighbors being kept awake all night by his demented cries. He was the original neighbor from hell. And the scene is set. And we realize that for this demon-possessed man to be freed will take nothing less than divine intervention. And friends, Mark isn't ashamed or embarrassed, as some might be, to say that this man is demon-possessed. The Bible clearly distinguishes between disease, disability, mental illness, and demon possession. The Bible is very clear about that. When Mark says he is demon-possessed, he is demon-possessed. Well, that might be so, Terry, you might be sitting thinking to yourself, and that's quite a picture you've also painted of that man. But I am so glad I am absolutely nothing like that man. I've got my clothes on. I'm able to reason with things. And no one's had the need to tie me up well for quite some time, really. <laughs> I'm not demon-possessed. Well, that may be true of everyone here this morning, though you never know. But friends, the Bible doesn't say that by nature we are all demon-possessed. But the Bible does say that this man is an illustration, a technicolor picture, you might say, of the terrible plight that affects every human being, each and every person. The Bible does say that by nature, that all men, women, and boys and girls are ruled and held in bondage by dark and sinister forces. You may remember um, the verses from the beginning of uh, Ephesians chapter 2 that the Apostle Paul writes, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So the Apostle Paul says that we are living amongst the tombs. 
just like this man. You follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. And like the rest of mankind, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. So the Bible is very clear that this man is, is representative of something that is real and universal in the human condition. We are dead in trespasses and sins in which we walk. We are all in that sense living amongst the tombs with no means of escape either in ourselves or with the help of someone, someone else. We might not be possessed like this man, but by our very natures, we are controlled by that which is dark and sinister. So this man is not as far removed from us as you might at first think. We might have nice houses to go home to. We might not run about naked. But the fact of the matter is this, that by our very natures, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, living amongst the tombs. And just like this man, we are powerless to do anything about it. No human power can help us either. The only hope is coming to Jesus Christ. Well, this man does come to Jesus Christ, verse 6 and 7. He meets Jesus, but we see the tension that exists within him. Verse 6, he knows that Jesus can deliver him, and so he was drawn to Jesus, but it seems that he cannot yield to Jesus. He falls down before him in reverence and cries out, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. No more torment. Please, Jesus. Can he take any more? I've had enough torment to last me ten lifetimes. He knows who Jesus is. There are no atheists among the demons. They believe that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. So friends, it's not enough to believe in the identity of Jesus. Even the demons believe that. Our belief that Jesus is God must lead us to yield to Jesus' control and lordship over our lives. Well, verse 7, he couldn't yield. He was afraid of what this change might bring. And friends, Mark wants us to see that this is the same for us all, that no man or no woman yields easily to Jesus. If we think it's easy, then we forget the grip that sin and Satan has upon people's lives. My former minister, Sinclair Ferguson, writes this in his little commentary, Let's Study Mark. Tragically like legion, men often hold on to their bondage and evil rather than yield to the pain of transformation by Christ's power and grace. The pain of transformation. Being transformed by Jesus is painful. Most of you know that I work with people who are broken uh, with drug and alcohol addiction. And I see this all the time. People are drawn to Jesus in the gospel message. They're crying to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy upon me. But Jesus, I can't give up that which I've become so accustomed to. I can't give up the drink. I can't give up the drugs. They cannot give up the thing that is killing them. They cannot give it up easily. It's the pain of transformation. You know this in your own life. If you're a Christian, and I certainly know it in my own life, the pain of transformation. Friends, we, we can't make light of people's situations. 
and tell them, oh, come to Jesus. It's easy to come to Jesus. It's no easy to come to Jesus. It's painful to come to Jesus. But it's worth it to come to Jesus. Well, in verse 8, a conversation now begins between Jesus and the demons. And Jesus asks, what is your name? The reply given us in verse 9 gives us the extent of this man's possession. My name is Legion, for we are many. So this man wasn't possessed by one or ten or hundred, but hundreds of demons. Well, verse 10 comes, and these demons, well, they know their place. They know that one more powerful than them is before them. And so these demons start to discuss terms of withdrawal. And it seems that they're hoping to get a better deal than the UK are with Brexit. That's if we ever get a deal. And they beg Jesus not to send them out of the country. And as there is a herd of pigs in a nearby hill, they beg Jesus to allow them to enter the pigs. Jesus allows. The man is delivered as the demons come out of him and are sent into the pigs. And some 2,000 pigs rush down the steep bank into the sea and are drowned. And you would be right to ask, why? Why did this happen? And why did it take place like this? And friends, you wouldn't be the first person to answer that, ask that question. Over the centuries, many people have been puzzled by this. The 19th century British philosopher Bertrand Russell points to this story in a paper that he wrote, Why I Am Not a Christian. And he pointed to this story saying that Jesus could not possibly be a good man and treat these pigs in this way. Well, we know that Jesus is good. So why this dreadful dis- destruction? Well, no answer is given by Mark, but there are probably several reasons, and I would like to just give you four, and they all begin with the letter P. Four reasons all beginning with the letter P. Firstly, the pigs dying shows us the purpose, the purpose and the ultimate aim of these demons. What happened to the pigs? They died. They were destroyed. And that's what the demons were eventually going to, the, going to do to the man. They were eventually going to kill him. They were already destroying him slowly. And secondly, this shows us the power. The power and the authority of Jesus. It shows us that as powerful as these demons might have been, it shows the absolute power and authority that Jesus Christ has over these demons. Thirdly, it gives us proof. Proof. Thirdly, unless obviously to see, I think this was done for the benefit of the man. How could the man be persuaded um, that these demons would never again be able to enter and dominate his life? How could he be sure that this deliverance, this salvation which Jesus had brought to him would never be lost? Well, there was only one way, and Jesus chose it. Anytime this man doubted his salvation, he would remember in his mind's eye the 2,000 pigs rushing down the steep bank and being drowned in the sea. And that's how he could be sure that these demons would never come back. And fourthly, this gives us priority. Priority. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, not pigs. Though it is fair to say, I have met many sinners who are pigs. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is his priority. And friends, That's not the way of it in many places. In many places all over the world, pigs and animals are are valued more um, than people. In India, the government, uh, government trucks drive around the streets 
and they throw meat and food to, to stray dogs. Yet at the same time, the same government officials go about the streets and they, they beat human beggars uh, with sticks. Jesus Christ's priority is to save sinners. The Lord Jesus assures his followers that they are worth many sparrows. Well, it also seems that the deliverance of one man is certainly worth 2,000 pigs. These pigs would have been worth a lot of money to their owners, but not as much as this man. Yes, even a man like this was worth to God. These pigs perish for the soul of this man. But the wonder of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus Christ perished on the cross, a far greater cost than anything else this world has known, in order that those who would put their trust in him might regain life. Well, you would think that this holocaust of pigs would cause quite a stir, and it did. And so this brings me secondly, and more quickly, to verses 14 to 20. The locals meet Jesus. The locals meet Jesus. Verse 14 opens, not surprisingly, by, by, by those who are in charge of the pigs, fleeing to tell what had happened. And you can just picture them running down the hill, shouting and screaming in absolute terror not knowing what is going on. I mean, no wonder. They were probably on a five or an hour or something. You know, watch the pigs, a five or an hour. To lose one or two pigs might have been considered a bad day, but to lose all 2,000, all in the one day. So they run down the hill shouting and screaming, and people came to see what it was that had happened. Verse 14, And when they came, they saw Legion, the man who was demented and demon-possessed, has now been delivered. Now, I'm sure they, they had to look twice to see if this was the same person. You know, a wee bit like those adverts you see in some magazines, maybe advertising weight loss products or, or some brilliant diet. You know the sort of a thing. There is usually a picture of the before um, and the after. And the picture before maybe of, of some huge, huge man. And, and the picture after has got him standing, posing in, in a big, massive pair of trousers. And you kind of think and you say to yourself, that's not the same person. That can't be the same guy. And you peer closely and you look and you see that it is. Now, I'm sure the locals had to look twice to see if this was the same person. And they did. And it was. And this is a great picture of the transformation that Jesus brings. This man was sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. The man who'd been running about like a terror was now sitting. The man who'd been running about naked was now clothed. The man who was crazy was now in his right mind. Well, how would you expect the locals to react to this amazing healing? Well, you would probably expect thousands of people to become Christians, wouldn't you? That's what a lot of people would have us believe, that if God would just do some massive work, show some great sign of power, then obviously people would put their trust in Jesus. Well, here is a sign of power, great power, par excellence. And how do the people react? Well, how would you expect them to react? To be overjoyed that the man who had terrorized their neighborhood was now in his right mind? They, they probably knew this man. They'd probably grown up with him, went to school with him. Perhaps some of them were even related to him. Or maybe you would expect them to, to hail Jesus as a, a great miracle worker or super-duper social worker and carry him shoulder high all around the area. Or maybe you would expect, as in other parts of the gospel, 
They would bring all of their relatives with diseases and disabilities to Jesus to be healed. But no, that's not how they reacted. And the last word in verse 15 is where the passage punches you right in the solar plexus. And the locals were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And the locals began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I think verse 17 is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. They begged Jesus to depart from their region. They were crying, Gonnie, please just go. Please leave us alone. We don't want you around here, Jesus. We don't want you, Jesus. Well, why? Why this reaction? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. Firstly, I think these people valued property more than they valued people. Sure, the man who had had the legion was now delivered and in his right mind. House prices would again be on the up. People would be able to once again walk the streets in absolute safety and a good night's sleep could now be enjoyed by all. But at what cost? To have this man freed had cost 2,000 pigs. It had been a great hit to the economy. What if Jesus had, had stayed there and began to deliver more people? Oh, well, no, we couldn't have that because our economy would end up becoming like that of Venezuela. No, no question. Jesus must go. But secondly, and this is where Mark begins to draw his contrast between fear and faith. Secondly, on a deeper level, they beg Jesus to leave because they are afraid. Verse 15, they are afraid to change and they are afraid to be changed by Jesus. If you look just back to the end of chapter 4 in the calming of the storm, the storm had absolutely terrified the disciples. But that storm has now been, been dealt with and everything is calm. But by the end of the story, the disciples are even more terrified of Jesus, the greater power. And it's the same here in chapter 5. It's the same for the locals. Legion had terrified them. Some in the crowd were probably amongst those who had tried to restrain him in the past. They knew it was a hopeless task. But now they come and find him sitting clothed and in his right mind. And they react to that. They are afraid. If they were afraid of this madman before, it seems that they are much more afraid of his changed condition. They knew that something greater than anything they had previously known had happened amongst them. And it caused them more fear than this poor wretched man had ever done. Faced with the reality of the power of heaven, they are more scared than when they were faced with the horror of hell amongst them. They are afraid, verse 15. They were afraid that the, the transforming power that Jesus displayed in Legion's life would produce a similar result in them. And friends, if you're a Christian, you know that reaction, don't you? You know that reaction amongst your family, your friends, your neighbors, your workmates, your classmates. Wherever you find yourself, you know that reaction. People are happy to talk to you until you mention church, Jesus, or the Bible. They say, hold on a minute. Let me just stop you right there. I don't want to hear that. I want none of that stuff. I don't want it, and I don't want to hear it. Why? Well, because they're afraid. They are afraid of change, and they are afraid to be changed by Jesus. 
Maybe that's you as you sit here this morning. Maybe you come along here faithfully and sit under the faithful preaching of God's word every week. But you're smart enough to know that coming to Jesus Christ will mean change in your life. And you are afraid. Again, from Sinclair Ferguson. It is so tragic that men both then and now would rather cling to the sins that make them sick and will ultimately destroy them. And they beg Jesus to leave rather than be transformed by Jesus. Well, verse 17, the locals are filled with fear and they beg Jesus to leave. But look at, the, look at the faith of the man who had the legion. The man who had the legion begs that he might be with Jesus. And the same language is used when Jesus calls the 12 apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out um, to preach. And it's quite understandable, of course, that this man would want to be with Jesus. Of course he would. He loved Jesus. Jesus was his saviour. Jesus was his deliverer. And he was ready to give up home and country to be with Jesus. But these verses teach us that the Lord Jesus Christ knows better than his people what is the right position for them to be in. Did you notice in this passage that Jesus has begged four times for something? Twice it's the demons who beg Jesus. Firstly, in verse 10, they beg Jesus, don't send us out of the country. Jesus agrees. Then secondly, again, the demons, verse 12, they say to Jesus, send us to the pigs. Again, Jesus agrees. Then thirdly, it's the locals. The locals beg Jesus in verse 17. They beg Jesus to leave. And again, Jesus agrees. But the man begs to go with Jesus. And the Lord Jesus says, no, no to the man's request, for he had other work for him to do. The Lord knew how this man could glorify him best. And friends, this teaches us that the thing that we might have our hearts set upon, or the place that we hope to go, good though it may be in itself, has to come under the authority of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what being a disciple means, being obedient to Jesus. We are to go where we are sent, stay where we are put, and do what we are told. Well, verse 19, Jesus was very gracious to the locals, the very same ones who had begged him to leave. Jesus is very gracious to them because Jesus left behind for them a living testimony of his transforming power. Go home to your friends. Go home to your own people. The locals had begged Jesus to go, but the man who had legion was commanded to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you. And for legion, um, this, I am sure, was, was not an easy nor a comfortable task, but it was a task that he was qualified to do. He was qualified to go out and to proclaim about Jesus. And friends, if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, then you're qualified as well. It may not be an easy or a comfortable task for you, but it is a task that you are more than qualified to undertake. Legion is commanded to go and to spread all that he knows about Jesus. And friends, all that he knows about the Lord Jesus doesn't really amount to very much at all. He has no theology degree. He has never attended a Bible college. He's never even heard one sermon. He's never even attended a small group, a prayer meeting, or a Bible study. 
But he knows who Jesus is. He has experienced God's power in his life. And he knows what it means to be set free and to have his life restored. And friends, that is enough for this man to have a ministry. That is what people do when they have met Jesus. And friends, what Jesus has done for us is certainly not less than what he did for Legion. And so, friends, the mission or the ministry that we all first and foremost have is to go home. We are to go home and tell our families and our friends how much the Lord has done for us. It's great to uh, support missionary organizations, even to become a missionary in a foreign land ourselves. It is right for us to do that individually and collectively as a church. But our mission always begins from the fireplace out. From the fireplace out. And friends, this is a, a great challenge to me personally. But I want to ask you, how are you getting on in that mission? When was the last time you spoke to your parents or your children or your brothers and sisters or your neighbors and friends about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you? When was the last time you when was the last time you when was the last time you done that? And I want to just particularly address um, husbands and fathers. When was the last time you you prayed with your wife? When was the last time you spoke to your children of the, the transforming power of Jesus in your life? When was the last time you, you told your children how much the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you? Gentlemen, we are the, the spiritual heads of our families and homes. Our children will listen to us much, much more than they will ever listen to their mothers. Telling our children about, about Jesus is the greatest and most important thing we could ever, ever speak to them about. Well, verse 20, our closing verse. The man who had the legion obeyed his Lord, and he went home, and he proclaimed, or he preached in the Decapolis, how much the Lord had done for him, and how he had mercy upon him. And the people marveled. And friends, later on in chapter 7, in Mark's gospel, Jesus is again in the region of the, 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 the Decapolis, and people bring to him a deaf and a dumb man to be healed. And I suspect that this was because of the faithful, consistent ministry of the man who had the legion. Well, as Jesus gets into the boat and heads for the other side, I think the things that Mark has taught us from this passage are firstly, the power of Satan is real. His purpose and ultimate aim is to destroy the lives of men. And we as men are utterly helpless and powerless against him. Secondly, Jesus Christ alone has the power over evil. He has the amazing power to transform any one of us. Despite our condition, despite our backgrounds, despite what we may have done, he has the power to transform us. And thirdly and sadly, the human heart is evil. And we would rather ask Jesus to go. Well, friends, Mark has been highlighting to us these two responses to Jesus. As we close, Mark's question comes to you. How will you respond? What will you do? Will you ask Jesus to go? Or will you ask to go with Jesus? Will you fear Jesus and send him away like the Gerasenes?
Or will you, like Legion, trust him and go and do what he says? Amen. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you that death and the tomb could not hold him. Thank you that he speaks and that by merely listening to his voice, just like Legion, new life the dead receive. May it be so amongst us here today so that we may go from this place and spread through all the earth abroad the honors of thy name for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, friends, to close our service this morning, uh, we're going to sing one more hymn together. Um, Amazing grace, um, my chains are gone.